0: welcome to this edition of the million dollar mastermind podcast this is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned real world insights on winning i'm your host larry wideo but those all of your 19 people are promoted with those
1: three people it's not just you yes well the individual providers, we do give them the owners of responsibility to promote themselves. We tell them all the time, people don't follow businesses. They follow yeah. people. You don't follow Nike, but you will follow Michael Jordan. Right. Right. People follow people. So if you really promote yourself and you make yourself out there and show people your personality and maybe your pets and what you like and your hobbies or what's important on your heart and then throw in your great work, your before and afters, that's how you're going to grow. But when I go and I try to give, I even give talks on this to some other doctors who are struggling with them, like I'll pull up their Instagram and say, look, you're all commercials all the time. Before and after, before and after, before and after, 30% off, blah, blah, blah. Who wants to watch that? Who wants to watch nothing but commercials? Treat your Instagram, if it's a business, as entertainment. Wow. Now, as you went into uh,
0: all of this thing, you're, so let's just say, How quick did you learn about the content entertainment? Did you study the doctor that you're training up in Massachusetts and kind of use
1: that as a role model for starting off? I did. In fact, I linked first with a really well-known social media doctor, Dr. Miami, who's actually known as, real name is Dr. Michael Salshauer. And he, I think, still has, I think, more followers than anyone else on Instagram, I believe that he does. But he was, I think, more of the pioneer. He may not have been the first, but the real pioneer to understand how smart it is. I and mean, if you see Dr. Miami and you look at his crazy wild skits and everything he does, you would think this guy's out of control and, and not a professional. Let me tell you something. That man, Orthodox Jew, wonderful husband, wonderful father, doesn't drink alcohol, is straight laced. But when he turns on the channel, you know, the skits and the funny stuff that you see, but when you go visit him, he's extremely professional, runs a tight ship, right? I mean, really, really, you know, focus on giving great results or low complications. And I was like, wow, this is just a show. That's all it is. And he told me something that was really smart. He said, all right, Chad, he goes, stop wanting patients, start wanting fans. You don't want patients. You want fans. Fans are going to be loyal to your practice. Fans will wait a long time to have surgery with you and not go to someone else. Fans are going to be less likely to have complications that are really going to listen to you. And fans are going to be way more likely to refer you to other people. Patient is just going to be a patient. But if they're a fan of you and your work and your practice, it's going to be completely different. Well, I, I know that uh, you can relate to the fact that
0: the magnitude of this kind of change you have to go through yourself. Because when you grow up as in a professional Enterprise and you're a professional, you try and produce, you know, the legitimate image. You know, like if you're in financial services, which I've spent a, a lifetime in financial services, you don't want to come in as like Claire Bell the clown and like, you know, let's where are we going to put this uh, half a million dollar investment? <laughs> right. You know, what? you know, like you say, when they go in to see Dr. Miami in the office, they're seeing a professional operation and he knows what he's doing. But it's a dichotomy there. You've got to really You really got to work that out in your own mind, how to let yourself be seen as anything other than, you know, we're very protective in the professional arena, protective of our
1: image and our impression. And how did you get over that? That's such a good question. A lot of people would never even think to ask. There is, in fact, the medical boards. Ooh, they frown on. Oh, I bet. Oh, Lord. better be careful. I created a list of rules that I thought would cross the line of professionalism. So, for instance, let me give you just some examples. Some of my rules. I would, of course, never film anybody anywhere. And, in fact, no medical record anywhere. We always review the film footage. Nowhere where there's a medical record or anything of anyone's name, et cetera, in the footage, unless that person has signed a consent form for all the media, et cetera. So, the only person they're signed. Next we stick with more, mostly strictly educational content if the patient is still asleep. So there's no dancing, there's no singing, there's no none of that stuff. We have a patient asleep on the table. I will finish a case, tape on and everything, and then explain, it looks entertaining, but I'm really explaining, here's, we had to make this pocket, there was a little asymmetry, you had to do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right, guys, she looks amazing, let's go, whatever, right? Something like that, a little yeah. tagline at the end. I also never delay a case. If the f- people that are ready to film are not ready, or I'm in clinic, and the patient's asleep and they're ready, they've got the patient prepped to go and do the quick little educational video, I always wake the patient up. So I will never prolong a case just so that I can get footage, right? Professional garments, I make sure all my media folks understand. Cap, gown, mask, gloves, just like everything else, you're coming to the operating room. So all the sterility rules are really being held in place. If there's ever any use of the ORs where we might be doing something colorful like dancing to a certain skit or whatever, it's always at the end of the day before a terminal cleaning crew comes in and the patients are even out of the recovery room. That way, there's no silliness, no fun going on unless we are completely done with the ORs for the day and even the recovery rooms are empty. Right. And even then, we've got our professional cleaning crew come in, so it's not like we're unsterilizing anything. There's the cleaning crew that's going to come for the next day's surgery. So I have a that and more list of all these rules. In fact, even between Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook, there are nudity guidelines yeah. that you have to follow that are completely different. Like Snapchat, you can show yeah. anything. Okay. Instagram, you have to cover the buttock yeah. crease. So if, let's say you get a buttock augmentation, you can show the sides and top, but you cover everything else. You can never show the nipple or areola, et cetera. Yeah. So every single one of them also has their guidelines to make sure your content doesn't get stopped. So we had to learn all of this and make a lot of mistakes along the way, but we are big on professionalism and safety so that when the medical boards ever look at mine, they see, okay, yeah, I may be having a lot of fun, but when it comes to the patient care, That part is always strictly professional, educational, et cetera. Well, Chad, we have to prove, we hear these things, we get interested, maybe sold on it, but then
0: we got to prove it to ourselves. And so as you started your Instagram journey there, there had to be one breakthrough moment where you did a skit, you did something a little crazy, let yourself go and to prove to yourself
1: this was okay. And so do you remember what that was? I do, but it's not going to be what you think it is. Okay. All right. So the beginning of and that matter of fact, that's probably gonna make people hate me. Here you go. Yeah, I'm a, I'll be controversial right now. Here we go. This is gonna make them not like me. It was kind of the beginning, the first six months we were into COVID. Yeah. Twenty twenty. My degree's in microbiology and biochemistry. And I'm looking at a lot of the data going right. You know, right. It's really not that bad. I was like, I mean, it's where it's gonna be bad is it's gonna be bad for people that are over the age of maybe sixty-five, maybe they've got multiple. Companies. And the number one thing was obesity, et cetera. That was really what data was showing. And I was like, you know, the mask, I mean, that doesn't, I mean, look at what well, we use mask in surgery. There is no study on the mask. The system That's mask works. But imagine back then, this is six. Yeah, right. Well, then the other thing is you're a doctor. You're a doctor. So yeah, the doctor and having been a surgeon and wearing masks today, my degree a, yeah. a 4.0 microbiology yeah. degree, <laughs> literally. So then I got on. And then if you look at one of my very first videos, I was like, wait a minute. Isn't the Institute of Virology in Wuhan? I said that. Right. I said that six months into COVID. And I said, wait a minute, isn't that market kind of close to that thing? So I did a video. I drew a map of China. (laughs) And I showed everyone where Wuhan Institute of Virology was. I did that six months in. Oh, This is long ago. I did that video. It went, I said, look, you're telling me that in all the landscape of the world, this happens to be a coronavirus research lab. This is where called discovered 20 yep. miles away. And that this wasn't a lab leak. I said that six months in just my knowledge of microbiology and virology. And I said, I did that video. Next thing you know, it went millions of views. Wow. Uh, famous actors and stuff were reposting. All these things were kind of going on. And the hate mail that I got. When I did nothing but question what we were being. You were asking questions. Did. I didn't yeah. even say this is for sure. I was like, my gosh, this makes you wonder. I mean, you could even make a bug. Did they make this on purpose? Yeah. Did they, I mean, I don't even know. I said, you know, they have a population problem. Could it be related to that? I mean, did this accidentally leak? I was like, but I'm going to tell you what, this is too close for me not to think this is actually going to end up in a lab leak. The hate mail I got for simply asking, not knowing at the time and asking questions to the point where NPR called me. Really? To do a hit really? piece. Really? Oh, to do a hit piece. <laughs> and they thought they were going to get me. They thought I was just a boob and butt doctor. They were quickly, and I started listing off data yeah. to them on the phone. And I started right. over why I said what I said and et cetera, et cetera. Then they didn't want to do the interview. They didn't want, no. They're not going to on that. To no. it. Once I had data and they knew my, what my background degree where he was, what, that when I was just a boob and butt doctor yeah. who was getting famous and saying things, they were quickly wanting to do this hit piece on me. But then when they found all the rest, then they didn't publish.
0: Amazing. Any of that. Amazing. Yeah. Very interesting. No, nope, don't do that. That interview could have done a lot of good too, if they published it, you know. But uh, absolutely amazing. But when did you get into where
1: you said did something like silly? So there would be these trends, you know, like maybe dance.
0: For those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast, I've got something especially for you. I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compressed them into a free webinar. That's right. It's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million dollar earners, register now at wideleonwinning.com. You'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. Somewhere in there, you
1: had to prove yourself silly is okay. Yeah, he was, I bring up the only, I will get to that, but I only bring up that one because it was way more, that was the most negative, the most controversial by far was just being a clinician and going over data that didn't match with a political narrative. Okay. But what's the result of that? You lived through it. I lived through it just fine. But boy, I will tell you, I learned so many lessons. I, anyway, I, it actually got me to lose a little bit of faith in some of our larger medical institutions like the NIH Thank and the CDC. And I, and I hate to say that, but even the jam of the Journal of American Medical Association, I was like, my gosh, this is completely political. That's not true at all. The data is actually there that shows it. In fact, someone's telling me, you should follow the science. And I'm like, I shouldn't follow the science. <laughs> You should stick to boobs. And I'm like, like if I can't be somebody, both being a surgeon and the degrees I got, who's trying to look at this and give my, anyway, I digress. Now, to getting the entertainment stuff, you would see these trends, TikTok, dancing trends, all this kind of fun stuff. And I said, you know, the problem is with doctors is they look unreachable. They look stuffy. They look like you can't truly have an open conversation with them. We've got to humble ourselves a little bit while maintaining professionalism and show people we're very approachable, very likable. We joke around like anyone else, no matter how serious the surgeries are. So I said, let's start doing some of these, you know, fun skits. And whether it was dancing or there's just so many you can do, right? And it took off. Boy, it's just one or two little songs in trying to learn little silly dances that people are doing. And they hear they see their doctor trying this new little dance and then also doing it with the staff. So they see what the staff is like. Then I'd get some of the other surgeons who were pretty reluctant to do it with me. You know, when they started doing it. I bet. And then boom, 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 boom. And what you saw was there would be way more people go, I don't know when I'm gonna get my tummy tuck done, but when I do, it's gonna be with you. Wow. Wow. So it wasn't that I showed an incredible before and after in my board certifications, just the fact that our staff was likable and it looked like a fun place and a place where they could really feel confident and comfortable at the same time. Then like, okay, that's where I'm gonna come get my surgery done. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. It was just being personable and approachable that made people say, look, I don't know when I'm going to get my breast augmentation or lift or tummy tuck or et cetera. But when I do, when I get my money saved up, that's where I'm going to go.
0: Now, how did you see your bookings? How quickly did that translate into
1: where you got phone calls coming in and people book? I'm not going to say immediate, but it it was really a logarithmic growth. Logarithm, yeah. It was just
0: like a Rocky stick type.
1: Yeah, it really was. It wasn't like I would do a skit and the phones would light up. It wasn't like that. It was just more that, boy, one next hit video to the next hit video. And I tell you, one that really took off, I'll never forget. There was a trending skit with Celine Dion, and it was so funny. And I said, hey, I'll use my liposuction cannula as a um, microphone <laughs> and toss it to me across the room, just like they toss a microphone room and it's just like when they put a spotlight on a patient but instead I use my overhead surgery light yeah right and then my wind blowing in the hair well we have a cooling wand for after people have lasers on their face so I said to put the cooling wand in my face i'll grab the mic i'll belt out the Celine Dion of course after all the patients are gone for the day i hit that video next thing you know 40 million plus views on was that it's a TikTok? 40 million plus views on TikTok. and next thing you know e-entertainment calls me up wanting the rights to the video so they can put it on their nightly show. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You know, from a Celine Dion. And in fact, I was like, gosh, you know, I was looking about the population of America and I was like, I I don't know how many of these views were Americans versus worldwide at this point, but I was like, gosh, that means just walking around. There's about one in six or one in seven people in the United States that seen my video. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I thought this is great. And sure enough, I walk around, they're like, aren't you that guy that did this lean? happened a few times.
0: Pretty amazing. I want to wrap this up with, you know, you've got a multi-tier type approach to running your business, which really sets you in up for really amazing future growth. And uh, I really think you stay on track now, Chad. You're going to have a chance to build a network that can do big things, can be very attractive for the monster hedge funds or to go private or something like that down the road. And I say that because of the structure and the thinking that you have put behind it. And one of the pieces that we haven't talked about, except you brought it up on, you kind of lifted the uh, the veil there when you talked about, I've got rules for my social media content to where we make sure it's in line, and that is procedures. Planning is one thing, but then when it comes into implementing and running the game plan, you when it goes beyond yourself where you've got a team, the key to a successful team is not only planning, but then having procedures in place like the Army, SOP, Standard Operating Procedures that you've thought through, you've created yourself by doing that you know work, And, you know, this is the simplest, quickest, best way to get things done. And if people do it this way, it's easy for me to keep up with them because this is how I think and everything. And, I, you know, you kind of gave a hit there that you are organized in all these different areas about things that you do on a repetitive basis, like, you know, washing and folding the towels. You know, it's like taking the thought process, like, how do we want this done? What are the sequences? How can I... Teach somebody to do this and then make sure it's done and then keep an eye on them, you know, but how much do you prioritize systematizing
1: your, the things you want done? I would say not enough. And I would say, actually, though you might find it a strength of mine, I find it a weakness of mine. I would say the strength has come for some great team members around me. Like my company president, Rebecca McMahon, she is so good at that. And I've surrounded myself with people that I think are so good at things that I'm bad yeah. at. I'm a little bit more of a controlled chaos guy. I will see all the things moving, go, aha, aha. Right. And put these into play. But finding these things and organizing and making it repetitive, these, these SOPs, as you say, so that people can follow that recipe book for success. She has been much better at that than me. Now, she her background, she's a nuclear engineer, and she has an MBA. She came out of the corporate world. Her last job was help building a brand in Switzerland with General Electric. She retired at the young age of, gosh, what was she, late 50s or something like that, I think, and then joined me to help continue this great growth. So we're doing more of that now because I find that as we grow with our med spas, we needed to make them more similar in so many ways, exact same front desk, exact same smell, exact same lighting, exact same products and services, everything same, which made it much more attractive. If you ultimately do do some sort of PE deal, they see that this is very yeah. standardized. That is mostly being put in place by her because I don't think I would be good at it. Yeah, I think I could probably force myself to sit down and do it, but then I would have losses in the areas that I'm good at. I've laughed. I've said, you know, people say, what what do you think the number one thing you're really good at or keys to success outside of me talking about just planning? And I say, you know, I would say operating is the second best thing I do. It's not really the first, even though I'm very proud of the work that I do. It's promotion. My ability to throw a party. If someone says we want to have a great party on Friday, I can have 150, 200 people there, no problem. It's creating the energy. It's creating the vibe. It's creating this Friday. I got an idea, guys let's do, we'll start with a couple of whites. We'll do a wine tasting like you've never had before. I got to, if you'll bring, you know, you see, I'm already beginning to just, right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do a wine tasting and I'm going to make a big. So promotions is where I found motivating promotions. It's not necessarily marketing, but specifically promoting is what I was good at, not just personally, but professionally. And so I said, you know, if I move away from what I'm good at, what's been a key to our success to do these things, like creating all the SOPs as we grow, then I think we will falter. And I have to put those people around me that were good at it. And the lesson for people listening that say, I'm just not that great a promoter. I'm more
0: of a organizer and things like that is you could just hire, you know, you hire a
1: promoter or someone who's really got that skill. Exactly. It's much more important to know what you're not good at than what you are good at. And to be humble about that and say, you know, someone is better than me at this and I need to really listen. It doesn't mean you step away because sometimes I think the true pioneer of a company maybe sometimes steps away too much. Right. And they kind of realize, man, I really was good at that. That's what really brought that spark into the company. We can all think of Steve Jobs and Apple, right? That person steps away that really brought that special key element to it. I've actually pulled away sometimes too much right. in my quest to get this right, but I will say that I'm always making mistakes. I'm never getting it right, but I'm always fighting for it to be better and I'm enjoying the journey. I'm never hard on myself. I say, oh, I made that mistake. That was wrong. And Rebecca and I, we don't mind uh, calling each other, oh, I was right about this. Yeah. She'll do the same thing. Oh, I was right about this. <laughs> so a little bit of banter back and forth doesn't hurt.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, you've been uh, a lot of fun and very generous with your time I got I'm glad I got you on a slow afternoon in Chattanooga and I always like to give our guests a last word and there always seems to be one thing that needs to repeating or needs to be said that that comes up at this time because you know I like a little extra reward for the people who have hung with us the whole time and what would you say people who want to you know they're starting out or they want to go into another phase of expansion or something and uh,
1: something that you'd want them to take away from uh, this conversation. Okay. If it's not, I have nothing to sell anyone of your audience. I've got nothing to sell. Okay. I'm doing this because, you know, like you said earlier, it's almost like having other kids and it feels good to help people be successful. I really liked that. You have to plan. People could call it setting goals. I call it planning. You have to think, okay, this is what I want. That means if I'm going to reverse engineer that and I want this, before that, I'd have to have this. Before that, I'd have to have this. Before that of this, of this. And then once you're there and you've planned it out, yeah. go. Do it. Don't wait till you think you've got everything so perfect before you make that first move. And the first move needs to be scary. Don't say, well, I'm going to start talking to the bank. Oh, get out of here. No, yeah. take out the loan. Like, do the first big scary step yeah. now. When you've got the plan do it. And I think people, number one, they don't either plan enough or they get to the start line of that first big scary step and they never take it. They want to keep planning it and they want to keep having a meeting, to have a meeting, to have another meeting. And later on, they regret it and they never do it. And maybe someone even took their idea. And I would say that's the biggest thing I see is either lack of planning or that first scary step, not making it.
0: And the point is the world is moving fast. And the if there's a great idea you see out there, you better jump because somebody else probably sees it too. And uh, the quicker you get in, the quicker you can start improving and make it better and uh, build a lead over the people coming behind you. So absolutely. Well, I'm excited about what you're doing. It's a lot of fun to meet you and talk to you. As I said, I've seen you on social media and uh, I'm gonna look forward to uh, see what new skits you come up with and enjoy seeing your business expand
1: in the future. And so let's stay in touch. Let's do this again down the road. Oh, it was, oh, the pleasure was all mine. And honestly, I'm humbled that you paid attention to my little channel and then to my audience and spent the time to want to get to know me. Really, that's a blessing. Well, I think it's more than a little channel. (laughs) We're doing okay. We're doing okay. Thanks so
0: much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to The Million Dollar Mastermind.